Amen. Hallelujah. All righty. Let's turn our Bibles. Where to? Mm, oh, let's go to Acts. Let me find, uh, I think it's the fifth chapter, and I think it's verse 36. Acts 5, I think it's verse 36. The disciples have been brought before a jury and uh, verse 39, I'm sorry. Acts 5:39. But be it, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Least happy ye be found even to fight against God. I want to talk to you about the battle between two. Sometimes when we as Christians live or walk with God, we get the concept that God is our problem. We get the concept that God doesn't love us as much. Uh, he's got some hidden agenda behind what he's doing, uh, that he's trying to teach us something, punish, it, punish us, or something of that nature. But it seems like we always find ourselves in competition or in a struggle with God. But we are not in a fight against God. We are in a fight against the principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, and rulers in heavenly places. That's the first battlefield. The second battlefield, which is no less problematic and no less constantly in our face and constantly warring against, is ourself. Paul told us that he fought, he was not a foolish man, that he fought something that he was not a, unaware of or not skillful against, or he was ignorant of. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26 down through 28, that he said that I fight against my flesh, that I have to bring it under, lest I myself would be a castaway. Now understand that even his body did not want him living for God. Amen. Did not want him living a righteous life. But many of our battles, well, we just need to say this, all of our battles are not any of them against God. And none of them are a struggle to get anything from God who giveth freely all things and upbraideth not. God gives everything. He will withhold no good thing to those that walk uprightly before him in righteousness. Now, if you don't walk uprightly, then you can't expect the benefits of obedience. Amen. Right? And so that's not rocket science. So you can't sin and expect God just to overlook it and you get what you want when you want. No, you have to live within the parameters of certain laws of righteousness and faith. Those laws are eternal. Those laws will produce for you whenever you activate those laws. Now, when I talk about we're not fighting against God or anything like that, it's kind of like healing. Some people would ask God the question, well, God, why don't you heal me? Well, healing is not between God and man. Healing is between sickness and man. Come on. God says, by his stripes, ye were healed. 
God has already made provision as sure as he has made provision for salvation. Amen. Healing is no different than any other promise of God. It is already yea and amen. Therefore, God has nothing to do with whether a man gets healed or not. Now that flips Christians out. Because they say, well, what do you mean it has nothing? No, it has nothing to do with God's will or not God's will. It has everything to do with what you're going to do with what God has given you. Amen. He gave you a promise. Amen. By his stripe, you were healed. He gave you faith. Now the hinderer or the enemy of that happening to your life is the devil. It is not God. Amen. See, we fight against the devil. We fight against the uh, tricks or the curse or the benefits of death that he seeks to keep us bound by. But none of them are from God or have anything to do with God. Amen? God is on our side. Who would be against us? For if God is for us, who could be against us? In other words, God's saying, I am not your problem. But many Christians constantly are putting it off on God. God, why don't you heal me? God says, I already have. That'd be like a sinner saying, God, why don't you save me? God says, I already have. I've already provided the cross. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you are constantly buffeted with unbelief and you're constantly condemned about what you did in the past, if you're convinced that God won't forgive you, guess what? You're not going to get saved. And so, is it that God's not saving you? No, absolutely not. God's work is already finished in Christ Jesus. Every promise has already been resigned. Yea and amen. There's not one promise of God that is denied any believer that is walking upright in the Lord. But we almost always find ourselves putting the blame or struggling or trying to find the answer from a just God that we are falsely or unjustly accusing of being our problem. Like he's not faithful. He is faithful. Like he's not doing his part. He is doing his part. But what we have to do is we have to make sure that we are fighting the right enemies. And there's always this great struggle that Christians go to that they think God is the reason their needs are not being met. But really, he is the God that meets the need. He's not the reason they're not being met. Amen. Amen. And so, but we as Christians oftentimes are blaming God or doing this or doing that. And always pushing, putting God in the place of the adversarial position towards us. When God has no intent, nor would he ever be in, in an adversarial position against his children. Amen? But we are in a struggle. But we have to make sure that we know who our enemies are. Amen? And so we're going to talk tonight about some of the things that we uh, deal with. Or the battle between two. Uh, one is, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 6. We all immediately will say, well, yeah, no, it's, it's sight against faith. Well, that, that is true. So 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and it says this. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at, uh, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. 
For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, we see that there is always going to be a battle between faith and sight, or outward evidence and the truth or the belief that what God said is true over the evidence that disputes it. But we, knowing this fight, we have to resign to live by faith and to resist sight. Amen. Amen. Now, it would be great if we would just simply use that in all of the areas of our life except in our salvation and our confession of our heavenly abode. You can't convince, convince a Christian that heaven does not exist. They talk about it all the time. They thank God for it. They share it all the time. But they have no evidence in it. In other words, they're doing it by faith. But then when it comes to any other promise in the Bible, they're living by sight and not by faith. So there's always the struggle. But I would encourage you, stop the struggle and side with faith. Amen? You know, we tell people that we're saved, but we have no evidence. Oh, yeah, my life has changed. Well, on a good day it is, but on a bad day you go back to the old ugly self you had. Amen? And if we ask your children if you're saved, they think we're waiting to find out. So, come on, let's, let's just not go off on that self-righteous rabbit trail that we want to say that we live on. Because we, on any given day... We are fighting between sight and faith. Evidence and persuasion. Could have given an amen. So we have to make sure that we as Christians do not allow the struggle between evidence to override or to win over the struggle of faith. Now let's go to Mark, the fifth chapter and let's look at verse 36, Mark 5, 36. This is fear over belief. Or we would say more readily, fear over faith. It says, And as soon as Jesus heard the word which was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. There is always going to be the struggle between fear and belief. Because fear is simply an attempt to intimidate faith or your persuasion. It's an attempt to get you to draw back instead of continue to move forward. That's what fear does. It's an intimidation tactic. It doesn't mean that fear is real. In fact, lots of things that people fear do not even exist. And what they fear will never come to pass. But it intimidates their faith so much that faith is paralyzed by just the presence of fear. And fear then intimidates the believer. But here, Jairus tells Jesus, my daughter's at the point of death. One scripture in Matthew says, my daughter's already dead. But if you will come and lay hands on her, she shall live. In other words, she'll come back to life. I believe that, Jesus. Jesus said, then I will come. He's coming, and here comes the report. Now, not only is she sick, now it says, she's died. Why do you trouble the master? Jesus hears it and says, look, 
Just because the circumstance has changed doesn't mean what you asked me to do has stopped. Amen? Amen? And so it goes back to Isaiah 53, whose report will you believe? And so there is always this struggle between fear and faith or fear and the persuasion of the Scriptures. The Scripture tells us one thing, fear challenges the outcome of what has been said. So what do we do? We become intimidated. We draw back. We stop moving. Even though God has said something, <coughs> or the promise has already declared it. Here, David, <coughs> hold this frog till later. <coughs> Just because evidence changes doesn't mean that God has. Amen. 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 Believe the report of the Lord. Amen. So if Jesus said, I will come and do it, it doesn't matter what transition from the time that he says it to the time that he does it. Simply hold fast to what you believe. Amen. There's always going to be a struggle of fear and faith or fear and persuasion. Yes. So there's always going to be the struggle between the two. Now, what is, what is the catalyst that makes one victorious or successful over the other? You. Oh, but, but no, it's the evidence. No, it's not. It's not the devil. And it's not God. It's you. Remember Deuteronomy 30, 19. Can I have that on the screen? These are very powerful words, and we, we say them, but sometimes we don't realize the power of what we're saying. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Now let's read it how we read it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. I have set before you life and death, but it's really not your choice anyway. I get to choose for you whether you get life or death. I set blessing and cursing before you, but it doesn't matter. Whatever I want to happen is going to happen. Therefore, you can choose life. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. No. Now, the next verse. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Now, where is blessing and cursing? Is it in heaven? Is it in the devil's hands? Is it in God's hands? Where is it? Real simple. Right now, it's right before you. The devil cannot bring one, and he cannot stop one. God cannot bring one. And God can't stop one. True. Oh, but he's God. Well, he is that he sovereignly said, now you become God over blessing or cursing. True. Did God make Moses a God over Pharaoh? Yes. yes. Remember when Jesus said, 
If I have said that ye are gods in the scriptures cannot be broken. What well, does it mean that you are God Almighty? But it does mean because you have been enabled, empowered, and sovereignly enabled by God to choose life and death, you are a God over life or death. Come on. You are a God over every storm. You can let it rule or you can stop it. It's not up to the storm. You want to make it the storm. The storm has no power except that you give it power. Come on. No mountain has the ability to resist you. You have the ability to move the mountain. So who does a mountain bow to? Thank you. When you have power to cast out devils, who do devils bow to? You, yes, the name of Jesus, but who possesses the name? You. Right? Okay, so when we start looking at these things, what we have to... I, I just want you to really just think. Because we have so much and we possess so little. And so let's just think that God put blessing and cursing not in his hands. He took it out of his hands. I said it before you. I hate to tell you, blessing is not in heaven. It's before you. And he put cursing there. The problem is, most Christians choose cursing. Because in some way, shape, or form, they think their self less likely to be what God said they are than they are to accept the likeliness that God is true in what he has said. Amen. And this is an age-old problem. It doesn't matter how educated the church gets. It's these things that are a constant battle between two. We're constantly thinking God's in charge when he's not in charge. David, when you go up to the, a devil, sickness, disease, whatever shape or form he's in, you say, oh God, take this sickness away. No, you don't. You say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I loose healing to this individual. Yes. Jesus said these, I want you to go into the city. Behold, I give you power to heal, cast out devils, to raise the dead, and to cleanse the lepers. And then he said, now I want you to go into whatever city you go into, find the sick. You heal them. You raise the dead, you cast out devils, and you cleanse the leper. You know, it's not God's job to heal the sick. There goes that religious devil. No. Behold, I give you power. So if he gave it to you, did he really give it to you? Or did he give it to you like maybe your boss does? I give you power, but don't use any of it. No, if God gave you power, guess what? Yeah. Who has it? It's, it's here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You do. You say, well, you mean I'm supposed to heal the sick? Yes. Yeah. Now, that would tell you that God never, ever has any doubt that sickness and disease will be able to resist or overcome you. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay, well, well, that went over like a brick.
Hallelujah. So we have to understand that if we say, oh God, heal this person, God would say, I would, but I gave all power to you. Why doesn't God deal with sickness? Where he lives, there is none. See, you have to have power to deal with sickness, not God. See, you have to cast out devils. God doesn't have devil problems. We have devil problems here. Amen? And when you get to heaven, you won't have to have authority to cast them out. Because there ain't none there. Right? And, and so, what does that mean to us? That means that you and I need to get a different mindset about what we as Christians are doing. Amen. You say, but I've tried that before and it didn't work. Keep trying that. And we don't try it. What we do is we incorporate it as a way of living. And even though the struggle between what God said and what you see and what you experience seems at different ends of the spectrum, you move towards God's end of the spectrum, constantly exercising, never wavering, never changing, and you ultimately end up on God's spectrum. Amen? Amen? All right. So we see that there is this constant challenge between the believer. Well, you know, God, you heal this person. No. God says that by his stripes ye were healed. As far as God is concerned, sickness is defeated. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Shall save. Somebody say it shall. All right. So there is always this conflict of what God says that we can do and what we perceive that we can do. There is always the conflict of the negativity of the old man or the negativity of the world and the erosion of the truth. The Bible says we can do all things. Now, we all know that that's just a pie in the sky. It's a lie, and it doesn't work. Right? That's right. I am a liar. It always works. But we never say, I can. We are constantly destroying faith, love, and victory by saying, I can't. Come on, there's always, why? Because we are always influenced by the negativity of fallen mankind. And negativity is far harder to overcome than positive thinking or positive speaking. Positive speaking is readily aborted at the evidence of something not changing. Negativity is very hard to override because it's what strongholds are made up of. And so we live under these strongholds. We live under this negativity because there's a battle between the two, negativity and positiveness. And God is a positive God. He's not a negative God. Man is negative because of his experience in sin. And is a part of the carnal mind. The negative mind is a carnal mind. The carnal mind is not subject, nor will it ever be, nor can it be succumbed to make it live by the laws of God. And so, and we, instead of doing what God tells us to do, 
If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your friend is negative, put him away from you. If Christians become adversely opposing to your faith and we receive them to the disputation of our faith or to the challenge of our faith, it's time to put them off. Could I get an amen? If a man walks disorderly according to the scriptures, in other words, if a man becomes negatively influenced and then begins to influence you negatively, you need to cut that man off. Oh, but they're my friends. I know. But she's my wife. I know. <laughs> yep. There comes a time of reproof, rebuke, and instruction with all long suffering. So we as Christians, look, if you're ever going to have a change, you have to make some type of journey or roadmap from the transition of negativity to positiveness. Could I get an amen? And so as a man thinketh in his heart, if you are influenced by negative forces around you, look, you're going, well, you're, you're talking positive thinking. No, I'm talking God thinking. Now you can call, you can trash it all you want. I'm just telling you it's God thinking. And you need to think the way that God wants you to think. Because if not, you'll always be conformed to what the devil wants you to think. And so you're always going to be negative instead of positive. Well, do, do you think just positive thinking? No. I think God thinking, not positive thinking, God thinking. I'm not a fan of Norman Vincent Peale. I'm not a fan of New Age. I'm a fan of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm a fan of. And he tells me to think up on certain things. He tells me to think up on things that are true and just and honest. That's what he tells me to think up on. Negativity is not one of them. Me not being able to do something is not one of them. David is just not there. So why would I oppose God or find myself fighting against God's transforming work in my life because I lean to negativity? Hallelujah. All right. Well, I thought it'd go a little better than this. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Philippians, <laughs> the third chapter. Remember, Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, Here's what Paul says. Be you followers of me as I am of Christ. Now, about the first time he said that in today's church, he would be run out as a charlatan, as a, he thinks he's Jesus. That's not what he said at all. He said, I am who I am because I have followed Jesus, so I would encourage you, follow me as I have followed him. So Paul did, and the Bible does tell us in 2 Corinthians, that as God was in Christ reconciling the world to God, now Christ is in us reconciling the world unto himself. And so we need to have a mindset just like Paul had. And we should be able to say to the world, if you want to see how Jesus is, just watch my life. Isn't that how they were called Christians? They didn't say, oh, they're Christians, they're Jesus wannabes. No. They were people that were following Jesus, doing the works that he did, living the way he did, talking the way he talked, and walking the way that he walked. 
You know, if we cannot obtain it, then God has set goals that we can never arrive at. And I don't believe that. I believe we are changed from glory to glory. Amen. In uh, Philippians uh, 3, and let's go to, uh, oh gosh, let's look at uh, verse 12. And it says this, And it's not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow, I follow after that, that I may apprehend for that which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What is Paul talking about? He's saying, look, I haven't obtained it, but one thing I do, I've got my mindset on being what God has called me to be. And so you have to let go negativity in order to lay hold of life and life thinking. Amen. Amen. And it says, brethren, I can't count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forget about the things which are behind me. In other words, forget about every failure. Forget about everything negative. Forget about all the things you can't do. Forget about all the things you didn't do. Forget about all the things you aren't. And start thinking and focusing on that which is before you. And then he says this, And I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus what? Minded. 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 And that if in anything ye are otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And then it said, Brethren, be you followers together of me. Of me. Wow. And mark them which walk as ye have us as an example. In other words, people that don't walk like me, pursuing Christ, get away from them. Follow me. I am your example. Wow. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But why aren't Christians talking like that today? Negative influence. It is that religious devil that inhabits every thread of every pew that you're sitting on. And it was not interwoven there. It was brought in by somebody that sat there before you. And if you're the only one been sitting there, it come in with you. Yes. And it is that negative devil that destroys faith Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that keeps you going in the same circle, never seeing any other end to your life. That is negativity. Somebody shout hallelujah. Remember, the Bible says, tells us this, take no thought of what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on, or where, where you're going to live. Look, that will weaken your faith. Take no thought. Yet, we are consumed with it. Why? Because we think we are less than creation. When we are not, we are the apple of God's eye of all of his creation. Amen. Amen. Everything rotates around you and I. 
We do not rotate around it. Amen. Amen. The fish are for eating, contrary to global warming. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think that we ought to honor the world, but understand that we take, partake of it, we take care of it, but only that we can partake of it. Yep. Amen. Amen. All right. So we want to make sure that we, as Christians, live free from the negativity of people that are around us that create condemnation, carnal-mindedness, therefore lawlessness and lifelessness. That's what it does in our life. Okay, so we're talking about things that are constantly in conflict one with another. Let's go to Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16 through Galatians 5.22. Now these are constant battles between two. They will never end. They will always be there. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. Stop right there. The flesh is not your friend. Amen. Is not your friend. Just know this, there's nothing good in it. Amen. Amen? All it does wants to dominate you, rule you, and control you. It will not help you to get to heaven. It will draw you as far away from heaven as you possibly can get. Amen. Ask Adam and ask Eve. There's nothing good in it. That's why we are waiting to wit to put it off into the redemption of our body. All right. And then the next verse. It says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immunizations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, such like of these are what I have told you before and I have told you in times past that they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now just know this, the lust of the flesh is not trying to help you to get to heaven, it's trying to get you out of heaven. Alright, next verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections and lust. And if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, you can't be a resident of the spiritual world and not live by its laws. Amen. Now, there's always going to be a war. Now, why does the flesh rise up? To abort the Holy Ghost plan for your life. That what it said? They lust one against another. The Holy Ghost, recreated spirit, and the flesh. And the reason that the flesh does this is so that the spirit cannot rule the recreated man. So there's always going to be this conflict, Bob. But we have to make a choice. It didn't say... But you can't overcome. It said, no, if you live in the Spirit, then walk it. 
See, the, the flesh doesn't have the ability to do it unless you allow it to do because we've been empowered by the Holy Ghost that raised Christ from the dead and he has enabled us and he will mortify the deeds of the flesh. Amen. Amen. And so there's this battle in between the two. There's always the battle between reason and faith. Reason and faith. There's always going to be questions. And what do questions do? They give a basis for reason to have a voice. And so there's always going to be reason and faith. You have to choose faith. Amen. Amen. Come on. Hallelujah. And there's always going to be flesh and spirit. You have to choose spirit. There's always going to be the fact and there's always going to be the truth that will set you free. The choice is up to you. Amen. There's always going to be discouragement and encouragement. There was a Ardeen Braun. Any of you ever had the privilege of knowing Ardeen Braun before he went to heaven? Ardeen Braun was raised in not a very compatible or a child conducive home of love and nurturing. He was just raised in a very negative background. And he told me that one day he decided that no matter what comes my way I'm not going to be like my dad he said I'm going to have a good attitude most of his children have good attitudes I mean they just have good attitudes if something happens at John's place tire goes flat or something well thank God it happened here not on the road I'm thinking it's flat bud but our Dean had an attitude that no matter what happened to him he would just make lemonade. He never had a negative attitude about anything. And I commend him for that. He made a decision. And in the natural, that's how he dealt with certain things in life. And therefore, his children, instead of having a bad home life, had a great home life. And had a positive home life. And so our Dean Braun passed that on to his children. They learned something about him. They learned how to live life. Look, if a truck runs over you, thank God it didn't run over your leg. You can get up and walk to the hospital. Amen? Yeah, there's always the, the, the positive side out of everything. So always realize there's always going to be a struggle. Hate and love. Love your enemies. Not that they don't hate you, but what are you going to do? There's a struggle between love and hate. What are you going to do with it? Amen? All right, how about sorrow and joy? Remember, death brings sorrow, but it has the potential to bring joy. Paul, when they wrote to him in 1 Thessalonica, he says, look, don't be discouraged about those that are dying. Don't be overcome with sorrow as those that have no hope. Be happy. They are with Christ. And then he says, those that are asleep in Christ. He doesn't even address death. We address death. We think death is final. It's not final. Amen. Praise God, it really is, folks, the door to heaven. Amen. Amen. And though we, we have people that go to heaven, we haven't lost them. Oh, I lost my mother. 
Well, find out where she's at, heaven or hell. I don't know. I didn't lose my mama. She went to heaven. I know right where she's at. I'm going to see her again someday. Amen. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that we planted her body and she hasn't moved since. I know where both parts of my mama is. Her spirit and soul are in heaven and her body's over in Quincy. I haven't lost anything. But when you start talking like the world, you start thinking like the world. And sorrow has a capacity. What is joy? The ability and the strength of joy is being able to see what God said would happen at the end of your battle. It's not, oh, I have joy in my battle. Well, you may have joy in your battle, but truth of the reality is the joy that you have comes from you seeing the victory in the midst of your battle. Could again, get an amen? And that's where our strength comes from, is that we know what's at the end, no matter what's happening on the battlefield. And so we're always going to be having these conflicts. So we as Christians need to realize we're going to have them, but we can overcome them. We get to make a choice. All things are possible. How many of you believe that? Okay. Now, if you just said that, tell me one thing that's not possible. If you were sitting here today homeless, all things are possible. What does that mean to you? You can have a home. You can have a car. You can have a job. There was a lady in our church. She wasn't no beauty queen, I'll tell you that. But she had faith. Now, she had some rambunctious kids in jail and all that kind of stuff, but she kept believing, God, you're going to save them. And she kept believing that God was just going to bless her and bring her a husband. I said, well, you've know, you got to believe for something. Well, lo and behold, one day, here come this guy, and she introduced me to him, and she said, Pastor, uh, he's asked me to marry him. I said, okay. And uh, so I'm thinking, you know she's broke, has nothing. Her kids are in and out of jail. Like, are you worse off than her? I mean, that's just what I thought. Most people try or hope to marry up. Yeah. Didn't you? I mean, I, I wasn't looking to marry down. I mean, Lord, I already observed what was down. I didn't want nothing around there. So I, I, hopefully I married up. And at least Phyllis tells me I did. At least one run. Hallelujah. So <clears throat> she marries him. I marry them. I didn't know anything about the guy. Then, you know, they attend church here about a month. And she says, Pat, you know, he, we live in Indiana now. It's such a long way. And I said, look, I understand. You know, hey, praise God, I release you. Come to find out the guy had a contract company. And the guy was just filthy, stinking rich. Now, I said, I release you before I knew that. Because I didn't want to lose his tithe after I found that out. I thought he'd, you know, marrying up. So I thought, my God, he can't have any more than she got. What am I going to lose, $10 a week? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Anyway, you know, and they come over here periodically, and they always introduce themselves, say, hi, Pastor. You know, we pray for you, and... and uh, you know, and he told me, Pastor, I'm telling you, she's the best thing that ever happened to me. And uh, she said, you know, Pastor, he's good to me. And I'm thinking, I wish I didn't let you go. But anyway, 
Anyway, so she's very wealthy, and he's very wealthy. I'm not talking about get by wealthy. I'm talking about, God, I wish he was in my church wealthy. <laughs> you know, that he's just successful. And, uh, but here she was, this woman that nobody would have looked at twice that was using her faith that God would provide for her and bring her a husband. I know all of you are saying, what site was that she found him on? <clears throat> it was a God site. And uh, anyway, they're happily married. They was just over a little while ago and said, you know, Pastor, we've celebrated 10 years anniversary. I said, I, I know it. I've celebrated 10 years of missing your tithe. I love you so much. Did you bring a tithe check? And no, I'm kidding. Now, God did that for her. Why? Because she was sold out to God. She didn't think it was impossible. She didn't think it was impossible. You know, people can think, you know, Phyllis's mother used to tell her like this, Honey, don't worry. Every pot has a lid. Because she used to say, Mommy, I'm so ugly. She said, Don't worry, honey. Out of every pot, God made a lid. And that was Phyllis's great redeeming factor. Was there's a pot out there for me, Mama. <laughs> and lo and behold, here I am. I'm the pot. But in her mom and dad's eyes, she was the ugly chicken. In my eyes, she was the only one that would say yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, so, here I was marrying an 84-pound woman. She looks so funny when she's pregnant. Looked like an olive on a toothpick. <laughs> Had one of them shag haircuts, you know. And I thought, you know, I love her. It just doesn't look normal. <laughs> but, hallelujah. You know, she gave me a beautiful young daughter and grew up to be a great young woman. And, hallelujah, Phyllis has aged well. Praise God. I got better than what I started out with. So, hallelujah. But her redeeming factor was that she thought she was so ugly she would find nobody. Yet her mama kept telling her, there's a pot, honey. Out there someplace, you're a lid for a pot. And lo and behold, God before the foundation of the earth made me a pot Amen. for that lid. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, in my eyes, she's the most, she's better, best looking one out of them. Amen. She's better looking than her brother, I'll tell you that much. And, and the other sisters, and, and the other sister too. You, know, you just put them all together, fellas. Hallelujah. So, thank God I got the good one out of the bunch. Now, but I just want you to realize anything is possible. You think that it's impossible. Yeah. It's not impossible. Yeah. Who would marry a pregnant virgin that said, God, yeah. put a seed in me? That's right. yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. But the angel said, marry her. Yeah. See, all things are possible. Amen. We have got to stop letting these battles 
that are constantly going on keep us from the God side of every battle. Amen? We have, we've got to stop it. Let's just stop it and start thinking that we are who God says we are. Let's not think it robbery. If Jesus told us that we could do the work that he did, we can do them also. Amen? Let's not think that, well, you know, if Jesus said if God heard us when we prayed, then guess what? Let's think like that. Let's think. I've never prayed a prayer that God has not answered. Don't worry about the ones that haven't been answered yet because he is faithful. And he'll do it. Amen. Amen. God will do it. You know, Eric and I was in a, uh, Kenya this week, and, and I walked by that store, and I seen this pair of sunglasses in there. I said, you know, God, you know, Phil's told me I'd look good in those aviator glasses. Of course, I look good with them or without them, but she thought I'd look better with them. I think she just tell me, you need more cover on your face, honey. <laughs> <laughs> they won't see it sagging so much if you cover up those wrinkles. And uh, so... Uh, I see him, and I said, you know, God, I just, I need to get me a pair like that because that's what she wants. Now, buddy, in the middle of nowhere, somebody comes up and gives me like fourteen or $15,000. Now, the sunglasses cost $20,000. So that means they've given me $150. Thousand sounds like a lot of money till you get it to the cash register, and it doesn't mean that. Then I had to call Eric, and I said, Eric, help me. I thought I had enough money. Man, I had this whole wad of money. It's this thick. I need more. <laughs> so I had to borrow $95 from Eric to get. But I got over half the glasses just by looking at them, thinking, you know, I need to get me a pair like that. Now, I haven't told her yet, but I'm going to put them on this weekend, sweep her right off her feet. There you go. I'm going to put my Speedos and my sunglasses on. I'm going to swoon that baby. <laughs> Moving right along. Let's stand to our feet and get out of here before that takes root. Glory to God. <laughs> Built like me, you wouldn't know if I had Speedos or not. So hallelujah. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, let the battles, God, that go on, let us side with the God side of our battles. God, let us side. Father, with faith side of the battle. Let us side, God, with the promise side of the battle. Let us side with the victory side of battle. God, let us side with the battle that brings us close to you. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.